let's jump into chapter 19 where we see uh, a celebration going on in heaven over the resurrection of Babylon, blessing those uh, invited, you know, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, in addition to the celebration over the destruction of Babylon, they are also, you know, is a blessing regarding the marriage supper of the Lamb and those who are invited as well. And the triumph over the beast will come soon when the King of Kings uh, returns. Um, but that is coming soon. Uh, today we have to divide up this battle of Armageddon. And so tomorrow we will get to the actual return of the king. But part of it we'll cover today. So this first part of this the first part of this chapter, chapter 19, is so uplifting and in some ways seems like a pep rally before the big game. Verses one through two, John writes, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. To me, in a small way, this is like being in a stadium packed with fans you know, at a, at a game, like at a football game, and the, their team makes an incredible play and scores a touchdown that wins the game, and the fans go wild. You know, it's that loud, incredible roar of a massive amount of people. And John describes it as a scene where, you know, a sea of people, including, you know, angelic beings, are shouting praises to God, and it is an incredibly intense uh, moment. You know, God destroys Babylon, and heaven goes wild, and that that's just that's an awesome picture to even try to imagine. But notice the difference between the redeemed and those who reject God and Jesus. The redeemed praise God for his judgments, while the wicked curse him despite his mercy. They are celebrating the destruction of Babylon, but more importantly, they are giving praise to the one who is worthy of all praise, to the one who is always faithful and true to his word. Everything begins with praise. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he began with thanking God first, praising him first. This is super important because it sets the tempo and recalibrates the heart and spirit to be in line with God and focused on him. We can do nothing apart from him, but with him, through him, we can do, you know, all things are possible. Salvation, glory, and power do belong to God, and Jesus is the embodiment of that. And to, you know, to think he loves you and I enough to go to the cross and bear the full weight of our punishment so that we may be reconciled to God. John goes on to write that the that they repeat the praise and you know, thank God that even the smoke from Babylon goes up forever and ever. In you know, again, indicating Babylon's complete destruction, never to rise again. Uh, you know, it's eternal damnation. Sincerely, really. Next, the uh, twenty-four elders and four living creatures around the throne join in agreement with the saints on their praise and worship, saying, "Amen, Hallelujah." Then a voice from heaven further instructs all, no matter who you are, to praise God. Now for the wedding announcement, verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. And there's that, there's that analogy again with peals of thunder. You know, shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine, you know, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to, given to her to wear. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So now we see those in heaven are praising God because the wedding of the Lamb has come. We know this to be referring to Jesus as the groom and the church is the bride. The church being all the saints from the disciples to the time of the rapture. Uh, before tribulation started. In Ephesians 5, 25-32, Paul describes the relationship uh, the church has with Jesus. You know, Jesus and, and it uh, being a relationship, and he, they use the analogy of marriage, you know, and the relationship between the church and Jesus is like a marriage with Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride. The church alone is the is the bride of Christ. And John writes that the bride or church has made herself ready for the wedding by putting on the fine linen that was bright and clean that was given to the church saints to wear. This is also another confirmation that, that the church is in heaven with Jesus during the tribulation. But what about the believers and saints before the church time and those after, like i.e. the tribulation period? John clears that up with verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Every wedding, generally speaking, has guests that come to celebrate the joyous event. And in this case, the guests are all believers and saints, you know, from the beginning, from Old Testament all the way back to the, to the very beginning all the way up to the time of Christ and the formation of the church, as well as all those that came to faith during the tribulation period, more specifically those who came to faith and have died or being martyred during the tribulation period and are now in heaven, as we believe the marriage supper of the Lamb, of course, uh, happens while in heaven. This is the reward and honor given to those who are a part of the church. And you'll notice a lot of different groups get different honors for the things that they do. Well, this is the honor given to the church. And it is a blessing also for the guests who are there to take part in the celebration. Matthew 26, 29 says, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus was speaking to the disciples at the final Passover meal, what started the tradition that we know as the Lord's Supper or Communion. Uh, Jesus was letting them know he would not drink the wine again until the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven, which John writes about here in chapter 19. It is a feast like the Lord's Supper to celebrate the wedding when Christ becomes you know, one with the church, so to speak, and dwells among them on earth once more, you know, referring to the millennial kingdom a promised reward for the believers. We will read more about that in the chapters ahead. John is so moved by what the angel shows him that he falls down before the angel and begins to worship. But, you know, the angel reminds him, you know, don't do that. You know, I'm a servant too, just like you. And to, you know, be sure to give God all the glory and Jesus you know, the glory saying, worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. 
Now we come to uh, the setup for Armageddon. It is important to understand that this final battle takes place over, over days, maybe even weeks. It is a short span of time in the grand scheme of things, but it is necessary to understand that it is not all in one moment. It is also made up you know, of three different confrontations or uh, areas that we'll cover, you know, and this Armageddon basically covers, you know, a scene at Jerusalem, you know, uh, Basra or Petra, where the uh, remnant of Israel was kind of hidden away, and, and the Mount of Olives, of course, when he sets his feet down. Um, we will have to cover this partially in this episode and conclude, conclude it in the next episode. You know, at hearing the cat, at hearing that the the, the capture and complete destruction of, of the capital city of Babylon, you know, the Antichrist will now turn his full attention on destroying the, the remaining believers and the Jews, including those in Petra. The beast will now move the bulk of his army from Jezreel Valley in northern Israel uh, to a place east of Jerusalem. Daniel 11.45 says he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, uh, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. It's talking about the Antichrist and his armies. With, uh, with Mount Zion where the temple is at uh, to the east and the Mediterranean Sea to the west, puts Antichrist and the bulk of his armies somewhere in the Shephelah uh, or the foothills of on the western side of the country. So while sending other forces, namely the ones that were encamped around Babylon, you know, outside around Babylon, the ones that saw the destruction of Babylon and mourned its destruction that we talked about earlier. So the Antichrist will send them to attack Petra once more, trying to kill the remnant of Jews that God has set aside and protected from the enemy. You know, side note, the invading army, armies that rebelled and attacked Babylon, destroying the land and killing the people caught there, was also probably a good reason why they watched from afar as the city was destroyed, because if they escaped out or got away from it, they definitely stayed far enough away to not get caught up um, by those invading armies. You know, Also, Daniel 1140 lets us know that the attack on Babylon came not only from king from the north, like we talked about those countries, those areas that probably united under one king that we mentioned previously, you know, but also was attacked from the south coming up the Euphrates River. So the remaining forces around Babylon and any in the wilderness outside the city gather to attack Petra while the Antichrist surrounds Jerusalem ready to lay siege to it and destroy all who remain. There are three areas that God says he will rescue from the enemy and his armies, Edom, Moab and Ammon. These are ancient names that basically make up a strip of land on the east side of the Jordan River. So it's one area on the east side of the Jordan River, and it is also where Petra uh, or Basra is at or located, where um, that's where the remnant of Israel was taken refuge. God's uh, kind of hid them away. So Jeremiah 49 13 through 16 talks about. Basra and the envoy that goes out to gather the remaining armies against Petra, you know, the enemy will march on Petra, but Jesus will defend it. Jeremiah 49, 22, behold, he will mount up and swoop down like an eagle 
and, and spread out his wings against Basra and in the, the hearts of the mighty men of Edom in the in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor. Edomites were especially wicked and came from Esau, by the way, if you remember uh, who Esau is. So the prophets uh, like Jeremiah indicate that the armies that gather to march on Petra and, you know, does and are desiring to destroy the remnant consist of at least the Edomites for sure. So Jesus will swoop down and destroy them. Isaiah 63 describes Jesus coming to the rescue of the remnant. It talks about how Jesus comes from Edom, which is the area uh, where Basra is at or Petra. And it talks about how he alone destroys the nations that have come to, you know, attack his people, the, the remnant that, that he has uh, secured there and how he tramples them, you know, and their blood just pours out on the ground and he just destroys the entire enemy uh, army. So it doesn't say that he puts his feet down, you know, as that'll happen with the Mount of Olives, but it does just say that he swoops down and that he comes to their rescue and he tramples the enemy, you know, and protects the remnant like he promised he would do. You know, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the gentle Lamb that sacrificed himself for man. And to the believer, that is who he wants us to know him as. But the enemy, the enemy will see him as the Lion of Judah who comes in to devour the enemies of God. He is the great king and warrior who defends his people. To the enemy, he is the fire from heaven that will consume them. The Antichrist will overpower and kill many as he makes his way to surround Jerusalem. Zechariah 13, 8-9 says, The Lord declares throughout the land two-thirds will be cut off and die, yet one-third will be left in it. I will bring this uh, third of the people through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They will call on me and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. They will reply, the Lord is our God. Essentially, the Antichrist will surround Jerusalem and will destroy in the process two-thirds of Israel, killing all in his path. This is this will be the northern one-third and the southern one-third, leaving only the middle one-third, which includes Jerusalem and Judah, you know, which Judah is the bigger area that, in, that encompasses Jerusalem. And of course, the, the sea is on one side and the Antichrist and his army is on the other side. So you can see how they're all boxed in. It also shows that the people will fall on their face and call on the Lord and he will protect them. He will save them. Zechariah paints a picture that would indicate that those Jews remaining in Jerusalem call on, out to the Lord and he saves them. The indication here is that it is possible and likely that these remaining Jews finally put their faith in Jesus because they never accepted the mark, as you remember. you know. And Jesus comes to their rescue. Isn't that a beautiful picture of his grace and mercy? I mean, wow, what a loving and mighty God we serve so full of grace. Zechariah 12, 1-9 describe in detail what happens regarding the siege of Jerusalem just before the official return of Christ on the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 12, 2 Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when and when they and when they siege against it, or when they siege Jerusalem, 
you know, it will also be against Judah. So he will siege, lay siege to Jerusalem and to the Judah, the, the area that encompasses Jerusalem. Judah is the larger area, like I said, that encompasses Jerusalem. It will include people that are especially vulnerable because they will be, you know, intense, so to speak, you know, outside the protection of the walls of the city. Zechariah 12, 3, it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. The last part again tells us that this is describing the final days of the tribulation where all nations left will gather against Jerusalem, including against you know Judah. Zechariah 12.4 says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness, but I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the people uh, with blindness. Remember, in the end time, in the end times, war will be much like the ancient times, you know, with horseback and you know on foot and with more primitive weapons, you know, due to the destruction of the of majority of the world, and you know, through God's judgments, there won't be really any modern weapons available anymore. You know, when the enemy tries to attack the city as well as you know those outside the city, God does something that is familiar to his, you know, is familiar, you know, it's very similar to what he does in the Old Testament, you know, with defending, you know, Israel. He confuses the horses so they won't be useful and he strikes the riders with madness and even, you know, the horses with blindness. I mean, so he renders the horses useless and he drives the soldiers on the horses, you know, crazy. This will create chaos preventing the Antichrist's army from mounting a a real attack on God's people, you know, that remain in and around the city. Zechariah 12, 9 says, And in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The lesson here, don't mess with God's people. And that's the lesson they will learn the hard way. Okay, guys, that is it for today. Next time we will pick up with the actual return of Christ on the Mount of Olives and the destruction of the armies of the Antichrist. We will touch on the armies that attack Petra, again, a little bit more. And of course, uh, we will definitely touch on and cover the armies of the Antichrist that are attacking Jerusalem and surrounding it. We will see the false prophet and the Antichrist thrown into hell and Satan locked away in chains for a thousand years. We will also take a look at the moment Israel calls out for Jesus, calls out to their Lord, and why it is so important to Satan that he destroy the Jews in the tribulation period, and also why it's so important to God that the Jewish people survive. I know that I have been teasing the return of Christ, but the stage needed to be properly set and details given, and now we are there. Join me tomorrow as we finish chapter 19 and celebrate the physical return of Christ. God, thank you so much for all that you do. I'm so grateful for everything you have done for me and my family. I'm so grateful for the life I was given, uh, for the parents I, I have, and the family I was raised in. I'm grateful for the way I was raised up and blessed, to say the least. Let your people praise you and worship you in spirit and in truth. Watch over your people, Lord. Things are getting crazier and crazier every day, but you, you God, are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You are our rock, our shield, and our salvation. 
Grant us your shalom so that we may walk in your peace and have no fear for you are with us. You are our God and we are your people. Let your people rise in strength, uh, in the strength of the Lord and be a light to those who are lost and looking for hope. Let us, let us point others to you so that you may be glorified in our actions. Amen.